as I hear <clears throat> that song, I couldn't help but think about what the Bible says in Romans 8, 18, where Paul said, for I reckon that the suffering of this present age is not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed to me. That no matter what you're going through here, and it can be very challenging and difficult, but one glimpse of Jesus in glory at the throne room makes it all worth it. I couldn't help but think about my loved ones who are in his presence now and who have beheld his glory and would not come back here for anything. Um, but you don't have to wait to get to heaven to see Jesus. Jesus said to Thomas and the disciples, he said, uh, you believe because you've seen. But blessed are those who believe and have not seen. That's us. We haven't seen him with our physical eye, but one day our faith will become sight and we will know fully, even as we are fully known. But thank God for a God who made it possible for us to have union and reunion with him. Thanks to my brother-in-law for sharing a good communion word for us today, that he loves us where we are. And um, may we be like that with people as well. Thank you, Elder Clifton, for leading us today. I have a couple of announcements to make before I get into the word. Um, but before I do that, my wife is on an airplane right now. She is heading to Indiana to speak at Taylor University in the morning. Uh, so pray for her that uh, God will use her to minister a strong word to the student body there. I will be joining the school in January. They're bringing me in on Martin Luther King's holiday to come in there and so I'm looking forward to that time. Taylor University normally brings a busload of students through here um, for the past couple of years because they um, love what God's doing here at Strong Tower. And so I'm glad that my wife is there sowing a seed into them. Um, but let me take you back real quick for those who may not know some of our history to 1993. 1993, I started working at a church called Christ Community Church in Franklin, Tennessee. Dorena and I moved to Nashville in 1992 for me to pursue a career in music, not in singing, praise God, but I was a gospel rap artist, and my record company was here in Nashville, and that's what brought us to Nashville. But as soon as we got here in 92, not long after that, we lost our record contract because according to the company, we just weren't selling enough records. Well, God closed that door. He opened up another door because he called me into the ministry. Whether I'm rapping or preaching or whatever, I'm going to minister his word to his people. And I uh, came on staff with Christ Community Church in 1993, which was a large, um, predominantly white, uh, conservative, evangelical church. Um, and I served with the outreach called Franklin Community Ministries. And we would go and serve in the community, and it was really good. And in the midst of doing that, I began to get burdened 
because as I was serving primarily African-American students and even some of their parents, I began to get burdened to do something I said I would never do, and that is to plant a church. You know how, you know, you tell God, I'm never going to do that. And then it's like, all right, God, okay, all right, I'll, I'll do that. And God was like, okay, I'm glad you're giving me your yes, but I need to readjust you or redirect you here because it's not a black church that I'm after. There's nothing wrong with black churches. We thank God for the black church. But he was calling me to plant a multiracial church. It's like, whoa, okay. Didn't really see too many of those around uh, in the early 90s and mid-90s, but I wanted to be obedient. And so um, we started praying about that, about launching a multiracial church. And I was reading a book by Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. And the premise of the book is find out where God is working and join him in the work. And so I saw what God was doing where I was ministering in the community. And I was also ministering at this white church. And he was bringing the people together where I didn't have to do it. He was doing the work. And he just wanted me to join him in the work. So that's how Strong Tower Bible Church got started on September 3rd, 1995. But before we had our first service, we had a whole bunch of prayer services that started in May. Then we had another service in June, July, August. Then we launched in September of 95. And while I was back home earlier this year, I believe um, month of May, I went back home to Baltimore. And we were going through some of my mother's things, who is in the throne room of God right now. Uh, She passed a couple of years ago. And we were going through um, all these photo albums she had collected, and the children were dividing things up. And while I was going through, um, my sister found the very first prayer brochure that Strong Tower printed for May 1995. The very first one saying there's going to be a church launching in September of 95. And so um, my mother had that brochure. She and my dad were also at our very first service in the Franklin YMCA in the aerobics room. But somehow she got that prayer brochure and I did not know she had it. And I have it here with me right now. And uh, she had this thing. I'm like, mama, how'd you get this? But mama, I mean, she had a way. She had a way. And And on it, I'm talking about the vision of this church and pray with us and all that kind of stuff. And we're going to be meeting at the Franklin YMCA and pray with us. And and she had this. And so when I went home this year in May and and found this, it just began to stir something in me. It says, uh, a worship gathering to pray for the birthing of Strong Tower Bible Church. And so God began to, to mess with me as he so often does about birthing some more churches. I was like, oh, God, uh, I'm not really trying to hear that right now. And uh, he started getting a hold of me. I said, okay, okay, all right, we'll birth some churches. Um, And I started doing what I did almost 30 years ago, basically telling God the plan. I said, okay, I'll go out. I'll try to get some core teams and develop some leaders, and maybe we can go to Columbia. Maybe we can go to Antioch. Maybe we can, you know, so I'm doing my thing. And he's like, are you done? (laughs) And he's like, it's not going to be that way. And I came before you guys, and I shared the vision that 
God is putting something on my heart to expand his kingdom through this church. You know our vision statement to experience, explain, and expand God's diverse kingdom in the city and throughout the world. And that we're in a season of time right now of expanding. You know, we, we love what we experience on Sunday, what we experience in our classes, um, what we experienced with our teaching, the 1619 class that Mona wrapped up on yesterday. I mean, just, just great things happen in Strong Tower to experience this, to explain it to others, to teach, to write, all of that. And now it's expanding even more than what we've done. And so um, I began to share that with you all. And um, there were people who said, man, we, we, we're interested. We, we, we want to be a part of that. And nothing was official. At the time, I was just speaking like burden. And so I had pastors who would say, man, we, we, we want to be a part of that. Um, and there's one pastor in particular I'll talk about in a minute. But um, I began to develop a philosophy called the Strong Tower Association of Churches. Stack. Strong Tower Association of Churches talked to the elders about this burden and what God was putting in my heart. And this association of churches will exist to provide support, encouragement, guidance, and resources to pastors and their churches who desire to experience, explain, and expand God's diverse kingdom in their cities and throughout the world. God's diverse kingdom is exemplified in Galatians 3.28, which says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So to see God's diverse kingdom come through local churches is to give attention and verbal priority to matters of race, now speaking of Jews and Greeks, matters of class, that being slaves and free, and gender, that being male and female. And stack is needed. Because no church planter or church leader with a desire to have a diverse church should ever have to start alone or stand alone. So Stack is not a denomination. It's an association. I just looked at where God was working and I had pastors calling me, asking me for advice, for wisdom, sometimes for help. And uh, so again, God was saying, I'm doing the work already. Join me in the work. You don't have to create or recreate the wheel. Follow me in what I'm doing through these relationships that you have. So the churches within this association, they have to be Jesus-honoring. They have to be Bible-based. They must be gospel-driven. They must be racially diverse. And they must also be justice-oriented. So as I began to share this vision with just a few of the people in my immediate network, there were four pastors who said we're interested in that. Pastor Walter Simmons in Empowerment Community Church in Franklin. Pastor Edwin Youngblood in Mosaic Church in Columbia, Tennessee. Pastor Russ Williams in Christ the King Bible Fellowship in Federal Way, Washington. And Pastor Randall Webb, who was a member here in Millersville First Baptist Church in Goodlessville, Tennessee. These are just the, the, the initial four that we've extended an invitation to. Three have said, yes, we're in. One is meeting with his elders coming up here shortly. And there are other brothers I just haven't talked to about this yet. So one of those pastors, when I mentioned this association and we want to plant churches, he came to me and said, we're relaunching our church. Our church um, grew during COVID. 
when no one was meeting in buildings, and they're a young church that doesn't have a building. And, um, and then they met here even for a season and in the afternoon. But trying to find a place to meet is tough in the city of Franklin. Um, and so Walter Simmons came to me and said, Pastor Chris, I would love it if we could relaunch our church in Franklin because Franklin hasn't been the same since Strong Tower moved to Nashville. And we've been trying as Empowerment Church to carry on so many of the things that y'all do, but we need more direct connection with Strong Tower. So he asked, can we use y'all's name? Really? Really, it's God's name because I didn't come up with Proverbs 18.10. That's God's stuff. Um, and so the elders and I, we, we got together on that, and we agreed, yeah, sure. So the first church that will come into this association of churches will plant in Franklin a strong tower Bible church, Franklin, led by my brother Walter Simmons and Jessica Simmons. Strong Tower Franklin with Walter and Jessica will start first Sunday in January, officially, at Strong Tower Franklin. They, they've been meeting for the past couple of weeks. They finally found a place um, at Freedom Middle School in Franklin, and uh, so they're figuring out how to do it. Remember, it takes us back to our days of setting up in schools and gyms and all of that, and so um, they will begin January, but on New Year's Eve night which falls on a Sunday, December 31st. We're not going to have a morning worship service. Everything is going to be had for that evening service, that, that service that will begin at 10 and end a little bit after midnight, and it's going to be fabulous. We have churches that are coming. Our dancers are going to dance. Our worship ministry is going to worship, and um, we're going to commission and lay hands on Walter and his leaders as they jump out to now start Strong Tower Bible Church, Franklin. And as they do that, they, as with all the churches in Stack, they will be independent yet connected. They will be autonomous yet they will be uh, um, aligned with Strong Tower, but it is not Strong Tower's ministry. It's their ministry with our name and with our encouragement coming alongside of them. I'll talk later in the future about my relationship with uh, Walter and Jessica. Jessica was one of those students I ministered to along with Ivy and Tabitha and Dion and so many others, Cleon, um, who when we started Strong Tower were a part of Strong Tower back in 1995. And Jessica is a spiritual daughter of mine who married this knucklehead named Walter. And, uh, and, and I just took him under my wing and began to mentor him. So, again, God just said, find out where I'm working, and that's what we've been doing. So, and then this church in Columbia, as I'm praying about Columbia because of the whole thing going on with the Jason Aldean video, and, Lord, maybe there needs to be a strong tower in that neighborhood, in that community, Spring Hill, Columbia. God says, I hear you, Chris, but I already got a work going on out there. They just started in April of this year, um, he and his wife. Um, have started this work called Mosaic Church. They called us and said, can we meet with you guys? Didn't know anything about what God was putting on my heart. Young couple, man, vibrant, getting this thing done. And so uh, Doreen and I sat down with them, and it was just so good to see what God is doing. It's just not this church. 
He puts this heart, this heart for diversity and unity and justice in the hearts of his people everywhere. And so, um, um, and they just got passed by the city of Columbia, that place where there's been a racial stronghold, a statue that's going to be made in the likeness of Thurgood Marshall placed in the city square of Columbia right next to the courthouse. There's a whole history with that. And guess where they got inspiration and encouragement from? From what we were doing here with the fuller story. So God is doing this work and we're just joining him in the work. And he and his wife will be here for that uh, New Year's Eve service. And I've invited the pastor from Christ Community Church, who's, who's there now, since they were instrumental in our beginning. They've also been instrumental in helping Walter's nucleus of people. They're going to be invited for that night and other pastors. And so, y'all, it's going to be phenomenal that night. So I just wanted you to know that as we expand, um, it's happening. God is expanding his diverse kingdom. And, uh, and I have a feeling there are going to be many more churches and pastors who say, I want to be a part of something where we can connect with each other, share ideas, vision, pray for each other. Not that other people aren't doing it, but I just feel like God is calling us to lead. We've been around for 30 years now, 28 as a church, over 30 ministering in the community. I got gray hair. I'm supposed to give something to these young folks. And so I'm honored to be able to do that. So if you uh, heard that vision and it made some level of sense to you, can you give God a hand praise right now. It just made a little bit of sense to you. Amen. Amen. So I'm excited. I'm excited. So let's pray. Father, your son is coming back. We know he's coming back. And with what we see going on in the world and around the world, we do cry out and say, Jesus, come. Um, we need you. Not that we're trying to escape challenges because you said in this world we're going to have tribulation. No, God, we, we, we want to see you reign. We want to see a dominion of the king that ushers in justice and love and mercy and grace in a way that your body, the local church, cannot do. We cry out for the head, for Jesus to come. Come quickly, Lord, and put an end to this suffering that people are going through. Jesus, take your rightful seat upon David's throne in Jerusalem and reign. I thank you that we are co-heirs with you, that we know who you are. We thank you that you made a way to bring us in. And now, Lord, as we share vision, there's a part that's exciting, but then there's another part that causes trepidation. Because it's like, wow, Lord, this is a big work. This is a lot. There are many details and things that must be worked through. But I thank you that you never called us to try to dot every I and cross every T. You called us to say yes and to believe. And I thank you for Strong Tower, Lord. We said yes all those years ago. We're still saying yes, and you're still building your church through us, with us, and even in spite of us. Now, Lord, as we expand, as we expand in greater ways, 
uh, to have influence and a touch, not only in this city, but also back in Franklin and in Columbia and even out in Washington and in Goodlettsville and all these other places. God, be glorified. This is a holy moment, and we honor you, and we thank you. Thank you for, again, this body, for these leaders, these elders, for what you're doing in and through us. We bless you. Now, Lord, open up our hearts to receive a word, and I thank you for how this falls right in line with what you're doing in this church. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. 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 Well, if you have your Bibles, would you turn to Luke chapter 1? Luke chapter 1. We're in this Advent season, anticipating the first coming of Jesus, um, how he came so lowly, but also anticipating the second coming of Jesus when he will come in glory as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We thank God for a communion time where we could remember what he's done, also knowing that we will partake with him in the kingdom when he returns. Luke chapter 1, I'll begin reading at verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. So today, with your prayers and with the help of the Holy Spirit, let's talk about the voice of Gabriel, the voice of Gabriel saying to Zechariah and to us, your prayer is heard. Your prayer is heard. Well, it's not Christmas for me until I hear two songs. When I hear these two songs, I know it's Christmas time. And the first one is Donny Hathaway's This Christmas. Yeah, yeah, when I hear This Christmas, I know it's Christmas time. But not only that, when I hear Kirk Whalum's, do you hear what I hear? When he plays it so wonderful on his saxophone, I'm like, oh yeah, it's Christmas. This Christmas, do you hear what I hear? And I want to know, this Christmas, do you hear? What I hear. Did y'all see how I put them together? (laughs) 
Do you hear the voices of Christmas? There are many voices that speak through the pages of Scripture surrounding this time. In particular, I want to know for the next several weeks, do you hear the voices of Christmas from the Gospel of Luke? Do you hear the voices of Christmas from the Gospel of Luke? So for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about various voices in the Gospel of Luke announcing, pronouncing, heralding the coming king. And today we start with Gabriel, the angel from heaven, who came and spoke with Zacharias, and Zacharias heard his voice, and I believe we need to hear Gabriel's voice today as well. You see, the Gospel of Luke is called a synoptic gospel. A synoptic gospel means that it has the same eye level or perspective, if you will, of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic, same vantage points, if you will, whereby they emphasize the humanity of Jesus Christ. But John is not a synoptic gospel because whereas Matthew starts with the birth record of Jesus tracing him back to David as being the rightful heir of the throne. And you see the genealogy starting in chapter one and Mark's gospel focuses on Jesus being a servant leader, a worker, a miracle worker. And servants and slaves didn't have genealogical records. So Mark doesn't start with a genealogical record. Luke starts with a genealogical record, tracing Jesus back all the way to Adam to prove that Jesus is the son of man. I'll come to that in a moment. But John starts off, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And so John is not on the same eye level of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but we need John to give us that heavenly kingdom, godly, or the fact that Jesus is deity. We, we need what John has to say. And as we read all four, we're able to get at least some understanding of who Jesus Christ is. But in the gospel of Luke, Luke, who is a medical doctor, according to the book of Colossians chapter four, Luke was a doctor, may have even been a Gentile. He's writing his gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to prove that Jesus is the son of man. Well, what's the significance of that? Because I know in John's gospel, there's the emphasis on Jesus being the son of God. Well, the son of man is a messianic title. So for the Jewish people then and even now, they understand the son of man spoke of the Messiah who was to come. And this mainly comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 7, when Daniel sees a vision of the Son of Man approaching the Ancient of Days, who is God. And this Son of Man will have a throne that will be established on earth forever. And so this Son of Man designation speaks of the fact that the Messiah is coming. And Luke wants you to know that the Son of Man designation is found in Jesus, Mary's son, Joseph's son. So he's tracing the lineage all the way back to Adam to let us know that Jesus is the Son of Man. Whereas Adam was the firstborn as far as coming out, being created by God, Jesus is the last Adam. He's just not a good man. Jesus is the God-man. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said, 
For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So Jesus is calling himself the Son of Man, equating himself with the Messiah that is mentioned in Daniel chapter 7. And I love as Jesus gives his mission statement here. He says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. And I just want to know, did Jesus fulfill his mission statement on anybody in here? I know he found me. He sought me when I wasn't seeking him. Very much what my brother-in-law talked about earlier, that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were in our sin, Christ died. He sought after us. We did not seek after him. He found us. And uh, recently, I just saw something that one of our members sent me. Um, a lot of y'all send me these videos and stuff. I can't watch all of them. I watch as many as I can. And one of our folks sent me one of a little boy who was trapped in some kind of well. And the community came together to try to get this little toddler out of the well. And the fire people were there and they were digging and, and doing all kinds of things trying to get this little boy out. And they were unsuccessful in what they were attempting to do. And then all of a sudden, somebody had the idea to ask a young man, or maybe he volunteered. There was a, a slender teenager, younger fella, who said, I'll go. And so they put the harness on him and lowered him through a small opening, a small hole. They lowered him down into this well or this place where the other little boy was trapped. And in a matter of time, he came up out of the well with the little boy. And people started clapping and rejoicing. And the mama grabbed her son like, why are you going over? And then everybody's, you know, <laughs> celebrating this young man. And I'm crying, looking at it. And the person who sent it to me, they were crying. And, uh, and I was like, that's a picture of Jesus. Like the toddler, we strayed and struggled and stumbled into places we should not be, and we become trapped and cannot get out. But Jesus came down to get us out of the cesspool of whatever we were in, to rescue us and bring us out, to save our lives. And he did that when he came into this world, to save the lost. You can find the gospel everywhere if you look for it. You see, Luke's gospel emphasizes the humanity of Jesus. And as a human, it shows us how Jesus touches us so that we can in turn touch him. Our God came down, wrapped himself up in the human flesh so that he could be tempted just like us, go through the things we go through, but he never sinned. So we have a high priest who understands because he's been here in the flesh just like us. So he touches us so that we can touch him and he shows us how to touch God, the Father, through prayer, through prayer. Luke chapter 22, verse 41, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Bible says, and he was withdrawn from them, as far as the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, about a stone's throw away, and he knelt down and prayed. So although Jesus was God in the flesh, he was also human. The hypostatic union, theologians call it, where Jesus was 100% God, 100% man. And as God, he needed nothing. But as man, he needed strength. And so he shows us, as people who have a relationship with God, that we're still human and we need to touch God through prayer. 
Jesus prayed to show us how to pray when we're going through. And one of the most human things you and I can do is pray. One of the most human things you and I can do is pray. Why? Because prayer reminds us that we are human. Prayer reminds us that we are not God. Prayer reminds us that we need God. And if you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, prayer reminds us that we do have God. So I got to pray because, man, I'm human. I got to pray because I'm not God. I got to pray because I need God. And since I have Jesus, I do have God. Jesus shows us how to pray in John chapter 11, verse 41 through 42. Watch this now. Outside of Lazarus's tomb. It says, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Pastor, where are you going? We're about to sit on a thought here where Gabriel says to Zacharias, your prayer has been heard. And some of us struggle with believing God hears our prayers. But I'm going to put that the rest today with the help of God and his word to say he hears you. And when Jesus started praying, he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now, even before he starts asking for Lazarus to be raised, again, the master's teaching us how to pray. He says, Father, I thank you. So when we pray, Before we start asking God for stuff that we need, that he already knows we need, how about we spend some time saying, thank you. Hey, thank you. Because, Lord, I need your presence. Well, I tell you what, enter into my gates with and into my courts with praise. Before you bring the petition, come on and say thank you. How about you thank him for that thing you prayed for yesterday that he did before you ask him for something else today? Father, I thank you for safe traveling mercies. Father, I thank you for my family. Father, I thank you for all the ways you provide. Father, I thank you. And sometimes you can get so caught up in thanking God and praising God, you can forget what you went in there to pray to him to supply. But Jesus said, Father, I thank you. And in the midst of his prayer, he says, I thank you that you have heard me. And then he says, you always hear me. So don't believe the lies of the enemy that God doesn't hear you when you pray. We need to have the confidence that Jesus has when he prays. And that is the father heard you. The father always hears you. And in our text today, we will see that God heard Zacharias's prayers. We know God heard his prayers because the angel Gabriel said so. He said, your prayers have been heard. Zacharias wasn't praying to Gabriel. He was praying to God. Gabriel works for God as a messenger, an angel. That's literally what it means, messenger. And he came to tell Zacharias that God heard your prayers. And we know God hears our prayers also because he said so. And I'm going to read some scriptures here to prove that. But first, who was Zacharias? Who was he? Well, Zacharias was a priest. That means he was a Levite. He was a descendant of Aaron. He was a part of the tribe of Levi. And his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the tribe of Levi. 
since she was also a descendant of Aaron. So both of them are in the same tribe. They are a power couple. They were both righteous, the Bible says, which means that they lived upright and they were blameless. They were holy, good, moral people. He took his position as priest seriously. When there were other priests in the Bible who did not take their position seriously, Zechariah took it seriously. But they had no child. They're righteous, upright, living for God, but they had no child. And they're well advanced in years. Translation, they're old. Maybe not old as dirt, but they're old. Why is it that God allows people who are attempting to live for him to go through limitations and to go through lack? Why does God allow trials and tribulations to come on people who are committed to him? Well, none of us knows the mind of God, yet alone knowing it where we can instruct him and tell us him how to do his business no, God will use us to put us on display to show the world what a person committed to him looks like when they're going through suffering. I know we didn't sign up for that part, but that's why heaven is so good because we're going to suffer here, but we won't suffer there. But he'll use the suffering here to show other folks who are suffering what people who uh, uh, depend on God, how they suffer. Because everyone that God calls has some limitations. This couple had limitations. There's not a person that God calls that doesn't have limitations. Abraham and Sarah, you're going to start a nation. We can't have children. Did God know that when he called? Yeah, Moses, go preach to Pharaoh. Man, I stutter. Did God know the limitation before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because everybody that God uses has some kind of limitation. We bring nothing to the table. He brings everything to the table and he compensates for our shortcomings. Matter of fact, limitations is what qualifies us to serve God. The fact that you've been through some stuff, the fact that you've fallen, you fail, that qualifies you. That qualifies me. God don't use perfect people. He uses broken and dependent and honest people. But Zacharias' name means the Lord has remembered. And Elizabeth's name means God is my oath. So Gabriel, the Lord has remembered. Elizabeth, God is my oath. But what do you do when you feel like God hasn't remembered you and God hasn't kept his oath? Because they're faithful to God. But they have no child. Lord, that, that don't add up. It don't seem like you remember me. It doesn't seem like you're keeping your oath. What do you do when God seems like he's forgotten you? Well, you keep on believing. You keep on going. You keep on showing up. And you keep on praying. Zechariah kept on praying. Well, what did this brother pray for? What did Zechariah pray for? We can only speculate. But as we look at his situation and circumstance, no doubt he's been praying for a son. Gabriel shows up and says, your prayer has been heard. What was his prayer? As an older man without a son to carry on his name 
He's praying for a son. He's praying for a son. Don't know how many years he's been praying for a son. Probably for a long time praying for a son. And some of you have been praying for a long time for this, for that. You've been praying. God hears you. He hears you. So he's probably praying for a son to carry on his name, and he's probably praying that God would remove his wife's shame. Because in that culture, so much of your identity was found for a woman and how many children she could bear. And so Elizabeth even says in chapter 1, verse 25, when she gets the news of John the Baptist coming miraculously through this elderly couple, that she says, now my reproach will be taken away. So when your wife is hurting as a husband, you ought to be hurting. If she's burdened, you ought to be burdened. Man, okay, okay. And Dr. Luke says she's the one that's barren. Now, I don't know how Luke knew that. Nobody ever says that the dude is... Anyway, anyway, so, so let me keep on moving. Let me keep on moving. He's probably praying for a son. But he's also probably praying for the Messiah to come. Lord, send your son, send your son, or send the Messiah. Send your son from Psalm 2 and other uh, Isaiah 7 and 9. Lord, send your son, send the Messiah. Why? Because by the time Matthew's gospel opens up and Luke comes after, there have been 400 years of silence. There's been no revelation from heaven. So when Malachi closes in the Old Testament, talking about Elijah will come before the Messiah, there's been this 400-year span of no revelation from God. Then all of a sudden, God is going to speak to a priest through an angel. Special revelation shows up, but he's praying, Lord, send your Messiah. Is anybody else praying, Lord, send your son? Send the Messiah. They are under Roman occupation. As a people, they are being oppressed by the Romans. And nothing like oppression can make you say, Lord, deliver us from this oppression. And in their mind, for many of the Jews, it was a national deliverance, a political deliverance, superseding even spiritual deliverance. They were like, we need help. Get us out from under the heel of Rome. So if God hears your prayers, that means he will answer your prayers. Let me say it again. If God hears your prayers, because he hears and knows all things, he will answer your prayers. Pastor, how do you know? First John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 says, now this is the confidence that we have in him. God wants us to have this confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. You hear that? How do I know his will? Reading his word. So I'm asking for things that he already says I can ask for. Verse 15, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. He hears us and he's given it to us, what we're asking for. Uh-oh, what's up, pastor? Well, God hears every prayer that you and I pray and he answers every prayer that we pray. And here's how he answers those prayers. Yes, no, wait. We love yes. We're a little fuzzy with wait. But no, 
many of y'all grew up in a home where your parents would say no to you? Because you asked for something. Yeah. And if you kept asking, you know. <laughs> and we're asking for a reason for why they said no. And a lot of times our parents would say, no, because I said so. So you just got trust. You got to trust. You got to trust. And a lot of times when the parents say no to that fifth thing we asked for, we forget about the other four things that they did. And we focus on the one thing we didn't get for Christmas. We, 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 that one thing we didn't, I didn't say Christmas, Christmas. That, that one thing. And we get an attitude with our parents. We get an attitude with God because this thing he hasn't done. Well, it might be that he hadn't done it Yes, no, wait. And uh, in Zechariah's case, God answered his prayer with a yes. But obviously, homeboy had to wait. And then he had to wait another nine months. So God answered his prayer, yes, and wait. But it was also a, an Ephesians 3.20 kind of yes what's Ephesians 3 20 that now unto him was able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine so God not only says yes but he puts the cherry on top he, he just he just blows it out of the whole water you're just not going to get a son to carry on your name you're not just going to get a son who's going to remove your wife's shame you are getting the forerunner to the messiah praying for a son praying for the messiah to come God says, not only am I going to give you both, but I'm going to hook it up where your son is the forerunner to the Messiah. This means your son is coming and the Messiah is coming and your son is going to announce the coming of God's son, the Messiah. That's Ephesians 3.20. I was just praying for a boy. I was praying for the Lord to come, remove my wife's shame. I'm not only going to do it, but I'm going to, man, I'm taking it to a whole nother level in a way that you could not even understand or comprehend. God chose Zacharias to have a son who would announce his son, but he just had to wait a little bit longer. Brothers and sisters, whatever you are praying for, God heard you. And he will answer you. So don't think that he hadn't heard you. He's heard you. Now, now, now a delay is not necessarily a denial. He heard you, but he, he's making you wait. And sometimes we think the delay is a denial. No, just because God is making us wait, that doesn't mean he won't do it. God loves his kids. He don't spoil his kids. Because if we got everything we wanted when we asked for it, we'd be spoiled. And you know, man, spoiled kids, they can get on your nerves. They have a sense of entitlement. What you supposed to do for them? Now, sometimes you got to let your kids wait to recognize that, yeah, I love you, but I'm a, I love you enough to let you wait a little bit. Because what waiting does sometimes is it purifies your motives for what you're asking for. God will have you wait because what you were talking to him about may have been important at that moment. But if you don't keep talking to God about it, it must not have been that important. So Jesus says that we're to knock 
Ask and seek. And that's in the present tense when he talks about it. So keep on knocking, keep on asking, keep on seeking. So if it's important, you're going to keep talking to God about it. But if it's just, you know, again, I'm spoiled. I want what I want today, but it's not important tomorrow. God, no, he's a good father. Dr. Luke mentions some other folks who had to wait on God. Just let us know we're not by ourselves. Luke 8.43 says, now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who has spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. Did God know she was suffering? Yeah. But God let her suffer for 12 years. The yes was coming, but there was a wait. Luke 13, 16. Then should not this woman, Jesus said, who's a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. So Jesus knew the woman didn't have to tell him that she had been bound for 18 years. As the son of God, he has omniscience. He knew. God, why'd you let her go through? Sometimes he lets us go through stuff because he's setting up. I don't want to say a happy ending, but he's setting up a climax where everybody going to know when God come through, God came through. Because if God come through quick, soon as we ask for stuff, he might not get the glory. We might get the glory because we said it was our prayer that did it. But no, he'll let you wait. He'll let me wait so that when he does come up, oh, my goodness, he's going to show out. Acts 4.22, for the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. He was a, 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 a crippled man from birth, 40 years. We've been waiting for 40 days. And we're struggling. We're ready. God, where are you? I'm where I've always been, on the throne. So with God, don't miss this. Timing is everything. Timing is everything. Lord, I want a husband. Timing is everything. Lord, I want a wife. Time, I want a house. Lord, I need a car. Lord, I need a job. Timing is everything. Timing. So this is where we have to trust God's heart when we don't understand his mind. Let me trust him because God has a timetable that operates according to his sovereign purposes. Sometimes we have to wait on God because he's preparing the blessing for us. Uh, you ever show up to somebody's house, events supposed to start at 6, and you get there at 530? It's always somebody like that. We still vacuuming. We still, we, we're preparing for you. And there you are. And if you don't get back in your car. So God's preparing the blessing for us. And he's also preparing us for the blessing. Because a lot of time we're not ready yet. Can I take you back to Thanksgiving? Nobody ate an undercooked turkey up in here, I hope. Look brown on the outside, but not done on the inside. No, no, no. You got to leave it in the oven. So that the inside and the outside match up. And a lot of times we look good on the outside. Like we ready for this promotion. We ready for this next season of expansion. God's like, no, you ain't done on the inside yet. I got to cook you a little bit longer in the fiery furnace of affliction. To burn away some of that dross and to develop some spiritual muscles in you. So that when you do get promoted, you know where it came from and you can handle this. But if I put you out there too soon, you're not ready for this. And then let me put this in for free. If you're in a season where, Lord, where are you? Sometimes God is waiting on us. 
I know we're waiting on God, but sometimes he's waiting on us. When I go to stores, like I, I like to go into TJ Maxx and get me some fake jewelry and stuff. And so I'll go in TJ Maxx and I'm at checkout. And now they got, you know, everything where you, you punch the buttons and everything, you know. So I punch the buttons. And I'm sitting there saying, this cashier sure is slow. I'm waiting on the cashier so I can finish my transaction, but the cashier is waiting on me because that's still another button I got to push. Do you want this email? Do you want a paper? I ain't looking at it. I'm just, man, give me my receipt. We waiting on you, brother. And God waiting on us. We talking about we waiting on him. He's like, do what I told you to do. You ain't going to get no more new revelation until you deal with the old revelation. Oh, my God. Well, beloved, in conclusion, whatever you are praying for, God heard you. The devil is a liar. God heard you. Matter of fact, he knew what you had need of before you even asked him. But God is into the asking because he's not just into giving us the stuff. He's into the intimacy that prayer brings while we're asking. But first, before I ask, let me come in and just say thank you. God enjoys the fellowship with us. He doesn't need it, but he enjoys it. So he will allow the trials to come so that we can spend time with him. Because truth be told, a lot of us wouldn't pray if we didn't have a problem. But God allows those things so that we can have intimacy with him. He hears our prayers. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 13, again, Gabriel said, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. God heard your prayer. So I want you to insert your name here. Fill in the blank. Do not be afraid for your prayer is heard. Your prayer for healing, your prayer for reconciliation, your prayer for provision, your prayer for your children, whatever it is, a prayer for a job, do not be afraid. Your prayer is heard. There was a time my wife and I were praying in uh, her car. We were driving and we, we, we pray in the car a lot together. Prayed as I took her to the airport this morning. It's not the only time we pray, but we, we pray while we're, we're driving. And we've been praying about a particular situation with one of our children. You know, again, it wasn't bad. It was just a, a need. God provided need for one of our kids. And, and we were praying and praying. But on one day we were praying in the car, we got caught up in the spirit where, where, where God just took us. We, we knew that we were in heavenly places. And I looked at my wife and said, God heard that. Now, he heard it before all the other time. But I walked away from that saying, oh, yeah, he heard. And I just walked away saying, oh, it's done. It's done. Now, there was a waiting period for when he came through with it. But I just knew, I just knew he heard that. Now, he, again, he hears every prayer. But, but on that, I was like, oh, he heard that one. Anybody ever have an experience like that where, oh, I know, I know. I, mm. It's kind of like the woman with the issue of blood. That when she said, if I can just touch him, I know I'll be all right. And she touched the hem of his garment and power went out of Jesus into her. And the Bible says, and she knew immediately that she was healed, that, that her fountain dried up. She knew immediately. And there are times you get a hold of Jesus and you just know, oh, he heard that. Oh, we good. We good. We good. I'm good. He heard me. He heard me. Oh, my God. Thank you, God. 
Well, in 2002, Verizon launched a marketing campaign called Can You Hear Me? Can you hear me now? And this dude right here was employed by Verizon for several years before he jumped ship and went to the competitor. But we're just going to talk about him right here with Verizon. <laughs> and the whole thing was Verizon is trying to show that their reception is better than all the other companies. So this dude is walking around in obscure places. Can you hear me now? Then he goes somewhere else. Can you hear me now? He's up in a swamp somewhere. Can you hear me now? He's over here. Can you hear me now? And what we don't hear is the person on the other line saying, I can hear you. I can hear you. I can hear you. Well, brothers and sisters, you never have to say to God, can you hear me now? Uh, can you hear me now? You may be in a pig pen like the prodigal son. You don't have to say, can you hear me now? Oh, he hears you. You may be in the belly of a whale like Jonah because of disobedience, but he hears you. You may be on the mountaintop walking with God like Moses, but he hears you. No matter where you go, God says, I hear you. And I just want to encourage you. When you pray, pray with confidence, knowing that he hears you. And he has answered your prayer with yes, no, or wait. So live in that confidence and don't do what Zacharias did, who questioned. Now, now how's this going to work out? Your mouth is getting you in trouble, so now you're not going to talk till this boy is born. But once that boy came, they gave him that writing tablet. They were like, we're going to name him, you know, after you. He was like, mm -hmm. They're like, John, ain't nobody in your family named John. But John's name means grace has come. When he wrote that up, his mouth's open. And again, the voices of Luke, brother man started praising God. If I got some praises in the house, would you get up on your feet right now? And let's receive God's benediction. Come on. Grace has come. He hears our prayers. He's present with us. He knows what we have need. He's allowing this to go on in our lives because he's developing us to be more like Christ, who himself, while he was on the cross, said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. God heard that prayer. He hears us. Father, thank you for being attentive. Thank you for being present. Thank you for being a caring God. As hard as life can be sometimes, you always show up with mercies that are everlasting. You're a good father. Forgive us for when we have gone astray, not just in our actions, but first in our hearts and in our minds where we lack faith and we don't believe that your son is enough. We don't believe that he's done enough for us. And we turn to things and people and even ourselves to fill a place in a space that only you can satisfy. And I thank you for a grace that superbounds over our mess, a grace that leads us into a life of repentance, a grace that transforms our lives. With every head bowed and with every eye closed, 
If you say, Pastor Chris, I have a prayer request. Something's been on me heavy. But I'm thankful to be reminded today that my God heard me. Would you just raise your hand so I can bear witness? God heard me. God heard my prayer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You may put your hands down. If there's someone here today who needs to be rescued, you're like the little toddler that's in the well, trapped, cannot get out. You've tried. But the Son of Man has come to seek and to save, to rescue those who are lost. If you've never put your faith in Jesus to be your Savior, to be your Lord, to be your God, now is the time. God is listening. From your heart to his. If you've never trusted Jesus, now is the time And you pray a prayer in your heart to God saying, Lord, be merciful to me. I am a sinner. But I thank you that you love me and that you came to rescue me from my sin and my shame. Thank you, Jesus, for taking my penalty of my sin on your body on the cross you took my place I trust you Jesus save me thank you for raising yourself from the dead for me you are alive now Lord live in my life live in my heart I want to be born all over again if you prayed a prayer with me like that either for the first time or you meant it for the first time. With Christians praying and no one looking but God and your pastor. Would you say, Pastor Chris, I prayed that prayer today. I prayed that prayer today, Pastor Chris. Father, we thank you for another opportunity just to share the good news of Jesus. Thank you that you came to rescue us. We love you and thank you that you hear us. And now we're going to pray in Ephesians 3.20 over this body. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ever ask or think. And it's according to the power that is working within us to you be all the glory all the majesty all the dominion and all the authority in Jesus name and all of God's people said amen amen as you hug somebody tell them that he hears you he hears you he hears you he knows he hears you have a wonderful day strong tower